Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I often think there was this picture on Glenn Maxwell's desk of Jeffrey when he was like in college, and he was the ugliest troll you have ever seen. Just really gnarly looking. And I, I've always thought, well, maybe this proclivity for, you know, sex three times a day, no matter how you can get it, was to compensate for him being such a not-so-pretty child. Welcome to Episode 10 of Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. I'm your host, Danielle Robay. Last episode, we heard how in 2008, Jeffrey Epstein's legal team negotiated a sweetheart deal that saw him convicted of only two minor counts in Palm Beach, and how his prison time was cushy, to say the least. He didn't even have to stay behind bars. He could get out during the day and go home or go to an office. By 2010, less than two years after his conviction, Jeffrey Epstein was a free man again. To celebrate, he hosted a dinner party at his lavish townhouse in Manhattan's Upper East Side. Among those present that night were his constant companion, an alleged partner in crime, Ghislaine Maxwell, as well as Woody Allen, Katie Couric, former White House communications director George Stephanopoulos, and Britain's Prince Andrew. Though Buckingham Palace now says the prince's visit at that time was purely to break off the friendship. British journalist Andy Tillett explains. Well, this is the latest in a long line of attempts by Buckingham Palace to try to put distance between Prince Andrew and Jeffrey Epstein. And like others, it's pretty laughable. I'm going to read you what a palace source told the Sunday Times newspaper in Britain. The Duke has been hammered for one mistake which took place in 2010. He has apologised again and again for the error of judgement, but what he did wasn't criminal. It was a mistake. He went to see a friend to tell them he couldn't be their friend anymore. He was photographed and videotaped with Epstein during that stay, and it doesn't really seem like they were in the middle of a bro breakup. If Jeffrey Epstein's time at the Palm Beach County stockade had given him any humility or remorse for his crimes, he certainly wasn't showing it. After his release, he didn't just return to society. He immediately resumed his abuse. Why? What drove this insatiable need to keep on inflicting such horrors on so many teenage girls? My name is Fred Berlin. Uh, I'm an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. I'm also an attending physician at Johns Hopkins Hospital, and I'm the director of the Johns Hopkins Sex and Gender Clinic. 
So when we see someone who really seems to be very successful and intelligent, has worked hard, has some achievements that he usually he can be proud of, and yet recurrently seems to be getting into difficulty in pretty much the same way sexually, it does raise the question of whether there's something about your sexual makeup that's different from the norm and that's predisposing you to get into these kinds of difficulties. For Dr. Berlin, Epstein's twisted behavior may be down to his actual genetic makeup. In other words, it may be that he was born a monster. None of us are interested in having sex because we read a book and decide we should be sexual. We're all interested in sex because of biology, because of our chromosomes, hormones in our brain, um, hormones that are released throughout our bodies and so on. And there's some evidence that in some instances people may experience different sorts of sexual desires from the norm because there's something different about them in terms of their biological makeup. Or even that his perversions were a result of a brain injury. This is rare, but there have been documented cases of of people developing very different kinds of sexual interests following a traumatic brain injury. There there was a case rather well publicized years ago of a man who developed an unusual sexual interest following the development of a brain tumor. The tumor was removed and he no longer had those kinds of feelings. Um, There there have been some studies done using some of the newer neuroimaging techniques, PET scans, which can actually look at chemical activity in the brain during sexual arousal that suggests that in some cases there may be differences in the brain that are correlated with the differences that people experience subjectively in terms of the the kinds of sexual feelings that they are experiencing. We may never know exactly what drove Jeffrey Epstein to such extremes of depravity. But after the Palm Beach debacle, several women were at least trying to make the world aware of it. Shortly after Epstein's arrest, two women named as Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 2 sued the federal government because they'd been kept in the dark about the plea deal. As that case wound its way through the courts, in January 2015, victim Virginia Roberts filed explosive court papers in Florida. The filings were just truly breathtaking. Virginia claimed she was held as Epstein's sex slave. In a sworn affidavit, she also named Ghislaine Maxwell as his madam, which Maxwell continues to deny, and claimed that Epstein and Maxwell had trafficked her to several high-profile men, including Prince Andrew, who also continues to deny the allegations. It started with one, and then it trickled into two, and then so on and so forth. And... You know, before you know it, I'm being lent out to politicians and to academics and to people that you, royalty. Virginia also provided photographs of herself with the two of them and with Prince Andrew. It was an extraordinarily brave thing to do. She was basically standing up and saying, this isn't good enough. This man has not faced justice. Something has to be done about it. And I believe it was her actions that set off a whole chain of events which eventually led to his arrest earlier this year. As he had done in 2008, Epstein brought a formidable legal team to fight in his corner. And in the following months, complicated legal arguments threatened to once again bury the accusations. In April that year, a federal judge ruled that Virginia's accusations that Prince Andrew had sex with her should be struck from the record. That's really interesting because the judge didn't say she was lying. What he said, and I'm going to quote here, is the factual details regarding with whom and where the Jane Doe's engaged in sexual activities are immaterial and impertinent to this central claim. In other words, 
It's not that it's untrue, but that it's simply not relevant to the case. He made no ruling on its truthfulness, though Andrew's supporters have tried to point to that incident as some kind of evidence that Virginia had been lying. Between 2015 and July 2019, several other young women filed lawsuits against Epstein, some anonymously as Jane Doe's. Another, Sarah Ransom, used her own name when she claimed in court that she was abused in Manhattan and Epstein's private island, Little St. James. Another, Maria Farmer, alleged that she and her 15-year-old sister were sexually assaulted in New York and at Epstein's New Mexico Zorro Ranch. Spencer Coven was an attorney on many of those early civil suits. So I took Mr. Epstein's deposition twice. On the first occasion that I took his deposition, as I walked in the room, he really attempted as best he could to maintain eye contact. He had a big grin on his face, always looked smug. When I asked him in his first deposition, the most significant question right at the beginning, where I asked whether or not, in fact, his private parts were the shape of an egg, he smirked almost to the point of a laugh. His lawyers became indignant, and then he got up and walked out of the deposition. And in the second deposition, I asked even more salacious questions of him, which he never agreed to answer. Questions about sex toys that were found in his bedroom, massage oils found in his bedroom, women that he either knew, places he had gone, things he had done, sexual positions. And the goal of all that was to see if I could get him angry or upset or throw him off to where he would actually spurt something out that could incriminate him. Having said that, during the entire time, all he would do is just smirk, smile, sit back in a very creepy way, and just read a prepared statement that his lawyers had given him regarding the Fifth Amendment. After the whole thing was said and done, from both the first and the second deposition, I guess the best way to describe it is just creepy. With Epstein still alive and at the height of his power, his victims drew upon uncommon courage to make his abuses public. Here's attorney Lisa Bloom, who is now representing several more of Epstein's victims. Listen, we owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to the Jeffrey Epstein victims who have been hanging in there uh, for many, many years before 2008, but through 2008, 2010, all the way up to the present, filing lawsuits, not giving up, you know, working with law enforcement and the journalists who have stayed on this story. That's what it takes because this was a case that was hiding in plain sight. A lot of people have known about Jeffrey Epstein and what a monster he was for so many years. And yet he was allowed to get away with it. And the fact that people would revisit the case, look at it again, more victims would come forward. Victims would take years. I mean, God bless everybody who got us to this day. That's what it, and it shouldn't have had to take an army, but that's what it took. What happened next, however, took everyone by surprise. On July 6, 2019, as his private jet touched down at Teterboro Airport, New Jersey, from Paris, France, Jeffrey Epstein was arrested on charges of sex trafficking. Billionaire businessman Jeffrey Epstein was arrested in New York Saturday on federal charges related to sex trafficking. Epstein was arrested when his private jet landed from Paris. Agents executed a search warrant on his uh, mansion in uh, New York City. 
Inside, investigators found hundreds of female nude photographs, some of the photos seeming to show underage girls. He is now facing up to 45 years in prison on charges that he was running a sex trafficking ring in the early 2000s that included underage girls as young as 14 years old. Jeffrey Epstein was probably more shocked than everyone. Here's attorney Gloria Allred. All I know is it was apparently a complete surprise to him. My guess is he was aware of a criminal investigation. But sometimes the target of an investigation can make arrangements through his attorney to turn himself in rather than suddenly and abruptly being arrested without any notice. That didn't happen here. It's not a requirement that the U.S. attorney contact the defense attorney and allow the perpetrator to just turn himself in, but sometimes that happens. So apparently he was very, very surprised, and he was not getting the sweetheart treatment that he received many years earlier. Former business associate Stephen Hoffenberg agrees. There is no reason in the world that Jeffrey Epstein would leave France where he wouldn't be extradited for this type of criminal misconduct with the abuse of the underage girls and trafficking, his arrest was shocking to Jeffrey Epstein. That same evening, in what was clearly a long-planned operation, a dozen FBI agents forced open the door to his Manhattan townhouse and executed search warrants on the premises. There, they found proof of their worst suspicions. Journalist Melissa Cronin, who has seen the interior of the mansion, explains. There were hundreds, maybe thousands of photographs of nude women, some of them underage. There was evidence of a very sophisticated video surveillance system. And in a locked safe was a stash of CDs and DVDs labeled with girls' names. In some cases, they had the names of men on them as well. What was on those discs? Right now, supposedly only the FBI knows, but we can guess. Epstein was held at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York, the same prison that was home to El Chapo, Joaquin Guzman, and disgraced Trump advisor Paul Manafort. Two days later, on July 8th, Epstein was charged with sex trafficking and conspiracy to traffic minors for sex. Today, we announce the unsealing of sex trafficking charges against Jeffrey Epstein. The charges allege that Epstein sexually abused young girls by enticing them to engage in sex acts for money. The victims, all underage girls at the time of the alleged conduct, were given hundreds of dollars in cash. As alleged, Epstein also paid certain victims to recruit additional girls to be similarly abused. This allowed Epstein to create an ever-expanding web of new victims. Here's Epstein's former lawyer, Alan Dershowitz. I thought it was a weak indictment. It was a holding indictment. They wanted to have enough just to arrest him and search his house. I think the goal of this indictment was to hold him and have other women come forward. That's commonly done. You have a small amount of probable cause to get a search warrant, and the search warrant produces sufficient evidence to bring a stronger case. I don't know whether that was the case here. But that's commonly the way state and federal prosecutors work. You get a search warrant, you make a public announcement, maybe other victims come forward. Uh, the case gets strengthened. Sometimes the case gets weakened. It usually is different by the time it goes to trial. 
If that was indeed the aim of prosecutors, it seems to have worked. In the days and weeks that followed, more young women came forward with their own tales of abuse at the hands of Epstein, many to attorneys Gloria Allred and Lisa Bloom. I did feel that once the United States attorney was conducting a serious investigation, and once there was public scrutiny of the outrageous sweetheart deal that he had received many years earlier, and once a federal judge had agreed that many years earlier the victims should have received notice of the deal, but did not receive notice that they were entitled to under the Crime Victims Act, that there would be a very different future for Jeffrey Epstein. And particularly if they had any evidence that he committed crimes after that deal had been made. So when my clients initially contacted me, Jeffrey Epstein was still alive. And I thought it was very important for them to cooperate with the criminal procedure first. And that's because we really wanted him to be brought to justice and incarcerated for his crimes. And I know that those cases are hard for the criminal prosecutors. And, you know, the more victims, the better, the more information they get, the better. And so my clients agreed right away. Yes, let's cooperate in the criminal case first. So we reached out to the prosecutors in New York. We were in conversation with them and our clients were working with them. For Florida attorney Spencer Coven, who represented Epstein's victims in the 2008 case that resulted in the sweetheart deal, the hope that this time justice would finally be done was tempered with bitter experience. Hopeful. They were very hopeful that things would be different, but also practical. They looked at it and said, look, I hope it's different, but it wouldn't surprise me if things happened the same way. And it's sad because they were already spurned once by a system that was supposed to protect them. The young women were pessimistic as to whether or not the U.S. Attorney's Office the second time around would actually do the right thing because they clearly saw that the U.S. Attorney's Office didn't do the right thing the first time around. On July 18th, Epstein appeared in court to request bail, with his lawyers offering to post a $600 million bond so that he could leave jail and submit to house arrest in his Manhattan mansion. At that hearing, in stark contrast to what happened in 2008, the judge also allowed some of his victims to speak. The effect was devastating. Gloria Allred was in the courtroom. As I recollect, I don't remember Mr. Epstein turning around to see the victims as they spoke, but he couldn't help but hear them. And I was glad they had the opportunity to be heard. Out of respect for the victims who suffered so much, they certainly had a right to be heard. Of course, they wanted bail to be denied. They did not want him to be released, to be able to go home to his mansion. They wanted him to be maintained in custody, and he was. How much of an impact that had on the court, no one will ever know. But the court did find that he was a flight risk and a potential danger to the community given the charges against him. And so the court denied him bail. With Jeffrey Epstein now safely locked up, prosecutors and investigators began to build a case against him, one that would surely see him jailed for the rest of his life. As Spencer Coven explains, even at this stage, the full scale of Epstein's crimes remained unknown. I can tell you that we were aware the FBI had interviewed over 40 young girls. 
And that was during the initial investigation in 2006, 2007. I got to imagine that there were victims spanning beyond that in the New York area, as well as the New Mexico area, and possibly in the Virgin Islands, or even internationally in France, where he had a home, that they were never able to even contact. I can tell you also that at least one of my clients was never even spoken to by the FBI. So it makes me think that not only were there other victims elsewhere in other states or other countries, but even locally here in Palm Beach that were never even talked to. I don't know how many victims there are of Weinstein, but if Mr. Weinstein has 10 to 20 victims and let's say Bill Cosby has potentially 30 to 40 victims, then I think clearly that Mr. Epstein's victims outnumber Weinstein and Cosby combined. I think that the span of time that Mr. Epstein was abusing young women and the volume and breadth of the investigation that there could have been hundreds of women, girls, young girls. As the investigation widened, it soon became apparent that Epstein's sex trafficking was not confined to America, but was a truly international operation. French authorities announced their own investigation. My name is Homer Rasselier. I am the president and the founder of Innocence in Danger. Innocence in Danger is a not-for-profit organization which is born in January 99, back then out of France, Paris, but now we work in a number of countries. From my understanding, when he was operating in Paris, in France, was very, very, very similar to the way he was operating in the rest of the world. He had friends who were recruiting young girls for modeling. Many of them were uh, recruited to do those so-called massages, you know, and they were going to his house. And then once they were there, they would... It was not a massage, uh, not for, at least not for all of them. So, you know, there was, there must have been rape, there must have been these kind of things by him. Epstein is known to have had a luxury 800-square-meter apartment in Paris on the exclusive Avenue Foch near the Arc de Triomphe. But Cellier doesn't believe his European activities ended there. I am not sure that the investigations will stop with the U.S. and France. I had a call from some people who live in Belgium, and they were saying that they would like to extend the call to action in Belgium. Why not? Maybe then Germany will do it. There were German models who were friends of Mr. Epstein and who were, you know, going in his house, going to his parties, even hosting parties with him. Honestly, I think what happened in France is very, very, very similar to what happened in the U.S. You know, this black book that was found or given or whatever, in that black book, there are apparently over 60, 70 names of French people, and there is a big number of women who are named as masseuses, as those who give massages. But this is very similar to those who were going to his house in New York. So it's, it's the same operating system because it worked for DKs. Why would he change it? As Epstein awaited trial, a judge also unsealed hundreds of pages of documents from an earlier lawsuit by Virginia Roberts against Ghislaine Maxwell. The documents were a huge bombshell. Roberts named more names and made even more explosive claims. The story was growing in a way we had never expected. What's more, it seemed that even more documents from the case would be released in the future. 
For those rich, powerful, famous men who once called Jeffrey Epstein their friend, the new developments must have been alarming, to say the least. What secrets would be revealed? The preemptive denials came thick and fast. Well, I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan. Britain's Prince Andrew is now saying it was a mistake to meet with Jeffrey Epstein back in 2010. Prince Andrew issued a rare statement saying that he hopes will clarify his association with the convicted sex offender. The Duke of York saying he's appalled by the recent reports of Epstein's alleged crimes. At the time of this recording, none of his alleged co-conspirators have been charged. But all signs indicate that the case is not over yet. Gloria Allred explains. I do feel that there's an extremely serious investigation ongoing by the United States Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York of those who potentially did conspire, knowingly conspire with Mr. Epstein to recruit young girls for Mr. Epstein. Immediately after the court hearing last week, I went with one of my clients next door to the United States Attorney's Office. And all I can say is, I do feel that a very serious investigation is being conducted. When I was in court, while we were waiting for the court hearing to begin, I spoke with the United States Attorney, coincidentally also named Mr. Berman, before the hearing began, and I introduced him to my clients in the courtroom. And he did assure them in my presence, and he assured me, that they are continuing their investigation of any potential co-conspirator. We should always keep in mind that when Mr. Epstein was indicted in this latest proceeding, there also, in the indictment, there was not only the indictment of Mr. Epstein, but the indictment also talked about unnamed co-conspirators. So even before his death, the Justice Department was interested in that. And it may be that now that he is deceased, more victims will be more willing to speak about who may have been in that chain, to recruit them, to manage them, to pay them. I do think it's likely that that person will be indicted. Right now, we don't know who or how many that would be. For nearly his entire adult life, Jeffrey Epstein preyed on defenseless girls, surrounded by people who bent the rules for him or chose to look the other way. His chauffeur now says he's tormented by guilt for not taking action at the time he was employed by Epstein. I believe every word because I saw it. I didn't see it at the time because I wasn't aware. But now that it's come out, I could put the pieces together and see what was happening. I mean, you know, it's obvious. I mean, how could you have so many of these girls coming and going, young teenagers coming and going out of there? To tell you the truth, I was kind of concerned that, you know, like, I don't want to be complicit in anything because, you know, I didn't know what that was going on. I was just a driver doing my job. I didn't, you know, I didn't. I did what I was told. The boss told me to go do a job. I did it. Who knew that this guy was doing the things he was doing? Like I said before, I wish I would have known. I would have possibly done something to stop it. Because, you know, I got kids of my own. I, I would hate to have that happen to them. The opinion of the other drivers at this time is, I told you. I knew it. Didn't I call that one? You know, like, 
I knew I did the right thing when I stopped driving for that guy. So, like, you know, it's they're, they're like they feel like vindicated because they called them out on it years before. Nobody believed them. And now, you know, they were right. Following his arrest and incarceration in July 2019, it finally seemed there would be a reckoning that Epstein and perhaps all of those who were a part of his monstrous activities would at last see justice served. Or would they? Well, justice delayed is justice denied, as the saying goes. However, I like to be very positive about it in that finally the Justice Department did decide to proceed with an investigation, did seek an indictment, and did decide to charge him and prosecute him. And that was a hopeful sign. Of course, what happened after that was a catastrophe. Next time on Epstein, Devil in the Darkness. An exclusive insight into Jeffrey Epstein's final moments from a man who was there with him. When they carried him out to cell, man, yo, they dropped him on his face, face first. I heard it hit the floor with the loudest thud. I'll never forget it, man, because it was sickening. I thought he was dead. Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, is hosted by me, Danielle Robay, executive produced by Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin, and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavor Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson, and Andy Tillett. The series is written by Dominic Utton, reporting by Aaron Tinney, Doug Montero, Jen Hager, and Marjorie Hernandez. The series is mixed and engineered by Sean Kravitz and Sam Ada. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Epstein, Devil in the Darkness, wherever you get podcasts.